Happy New Year! <laughs> so we celebrated New Year last night uh, with New York City, uh, so that it would be 10 o'clock our time. And uh, <clears throat> apparently our neighborhood didn't get the memo that I was teaching this morning. <laughs> so, so right at midnight, directly across the street from me, really good neighbors of mine, but they decided to have a fireworks display at midnight till about 12.30. It was wonderful, by the way. But uh, there they went that whole idea of trying to go to bed early. So, Happy New Year. God's giving me strength. I feel good, actually. I'm awake. So this is great. Hope you had a wonderful uh, Christmas. And uh, it's just a great time of the year. A time to be with family. A time to celebrate. Bring in the new year where we get fresh start, which I love. And it always brings to our minds things that we can do to live for Christ. Things that we can do to love our spouses better. Uh, it's just a fresh start. Christ gives us that. This uh, Christmas season, as, uh, as we prepared for um, Christmas Day, we have three little boys, and it's just a, they're at that great age where Christmas is just wonderful and magical, and they look forward to uh, the day where they get to break open the presents and we just get to rejoice in the Lord and celebrate. And before Christmas time, every time my oldest son Caleb and I uh, would go to a toy store or would uh, be anywhere where there were toys, what would catch his eye every time was King Peter's sword and his shield from the Chronicles of Narnia. Dad, I want that. Well, son, I guess we'll just have to see. And every time, every Toys R Us visit, Dad, you know, it was a beeline to that section of King Peter's sword. And so the day came with incredible anticipation, just excitement, couldn't wait to get up and, and, and see if Santa had brought King Peter's sword. And sure enough, it was there. <laughs> and so they broke it out and Caleb opened it up and it, it's just this wonderful, the sword lights up, the lion on the sword and, and the, uh, the lion on the shield and the sword makes clanking noises, you know, you press a button and it makes noises. And so our whole Christmas, because we got the other two kids uh, Star Wars lightsabers, so the whole Christmas was just sword battles. And it was just wonderful. And, and there was just this incredible deal around our household around sword and sword fight. And that's what I want you to think about this morning that there would be a desire like Caleb had for King Peter's sword. A desire for the sword of God. The Word. The Bible. Truth. That we would desire so much in anticipation to receive it. To know it. To live it out. To be obedient to what God has given us. And that we would cling to the desires and the truth of the Word. As this year we face many unsettling times. Many supposed truths are given to us on how to live in this world. But that we would hold on to Christ alone. That our New Year's resolution would be that I come to His Word. I desire the sword, and I want to live alone by it. 
because this is Christ. This is who our Lord Jesus is. It is living and active. And may we live by that. This morning we're going to look at the church of Pergamum in Revelation chapter 2. So turn there with me if you would. And we're going to find a church that needed to get their compass set by the truth of our Lord. Not by all other types of thinking that were coming their way. They needed to set their hearts on the one who would give them truth because what was happening in the area of Pergamum was truly a battle for the mind. A battle for our thinking and what we trust and what we lean on and what we know to be true. Turn with me to verse uh, 12 of chapter 2. It says this, To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Wow, what a wonderful place to live. Real estate agents are dying to get you in there. Location, location. You live where Satan lives. What a place. The environment that was going on was an incredible spiritual attack by the enemy. The enemy was strong in Pergamum. His powers were taking over, challenging the minds of the individuals lived there. There was all types of attack that was going on. And Jesus addresses the church and he says this, I am the one who has the double-edged sword that is sharp, that is piercing. It's the same image that we get in Revelation 1.16 where he says, In his right hand he held the seven stars. And out of his mouth came a double-edged sword. Piercing. And, and the image in the beginning of Revelation is, he was on fire and, and he was just powerful and all in white. And out of his mouth came the double-edged sword. In Isaiah 49, as it leads us up to the Christ, as prophecy foretells, it says of the future Lord, He hath made my mouth like a sharpened sword. He presents Himself to this church to our church, Cole Community, as the one who brings forth the double-edged sword, the Word, truth that is piercing and strong. He presents himself as the Word. Pergamum knew very well the sword. They knew very well because it was a symbol of the city Roman law at this time in Pergamum was that we can take your life by the sword. Capital punishment was played out often there. They lived under that fear and that strength of the Roman government. And Jesus, in all of these scriptures, as he talks about the churches and as he talks about us, he says, I walk in the midst of you, right? I am right in the middle of this church. And I walk in your presence And as I walk, I come with truth. 
I come with everything that is pure and right and piercing, and I am the double-edged sword, so that you will know my truth, that you will know me, is what Christ has for us. John Stott says of this battle going on, about why does he present himself as a double-edged sword? Here a pitched battle was being fought, in which the soldiers were not men, but ideas. It was a battle over the mind. What was the city like during this time? Pergamum was built on a high rock, what is now again modern-day Turkey. It was famous for its incredible library. And at the time of Jesus, it had 200,000 parchment scrolls that were there. Parchment actually derives its name from the word Pergamum. And it was in perpetual motion with new words and ideas. It was the capital city of the Roman province of Asia. It had the center of Caesar worship that was going on there. And behind the city was a hill, a thousand feet tall, that was the entire host of of temples that were going on there, and altars that were built, overlooking the whole city. Asclepius was a god of healing, a symbol of the serpent. Maybe you're familiar with that. And people would rush to come and touch this serpent so that they would receive healing. And what was the healing in their life? Like Lord's France today, people go to the well to receive touch and healing. And there was the temple of Zeus. And they said, Zeus is our Savior. It was built on a ledge 800 feet above the street. Its platform was 20 feet high and 90 feet square. And there was an incredible chair or throne that was 40 feet tall in which Zeus was supposed to sit. And so above the whole city was this altar to Zeus. And these people lived in the shadow of this type of worship. In the shadow of superstition and wondering, how do we live in the middle of what God has for us in a city that is so opposite of that? The enemy was powerful. And the Lord again says, I know exactly where you live. I know what's going on. I know what's taking place in your city. I know that the enemy is strong but I walk right in the middle of that. And right in the middle is Pergamon, this church, trying to stand brightly, trying to live out for the Lord. And the Lord says of them, even though the forces are against you, even though they killed Antipas, Antipas means against all, they took one of the leaders of the church. And it says of church history that he was put into a brazen bull that was brought to a white hot and killed them inside of the bull. Even though there is attack and there is death and you are living out for me, you're living strong for the name of Christ. You're martyred because of your love for me. Incredible outward pressure. Are you feeling that? Do you feel that in today's culture? He says, I'm proud of you, church. Even in the middle of this, you remain true to my name. 
You have not renounced your faith. People come against you and you stand firm for me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for the salvation of every man. It's the power of the resurrection. His name. You stand firm for it. You live. They did not renounce his name. And it was a church that was actually strong. A church where people were holding on to God. I read in the paper just the other day about a man who, uh, he was attacked by a grizzly bear. And the title was, Man Attacked by Grizzly Goes Back to Work. And I thought, how wonderful. That's exactly it. Attacked by these grizzlies, these forces, these people who come, and yet their work is about the work of God. And they go back, and they face it. And there's this outward attack. You know, it's interesting to me, I actually have enjoyed the fact that there is all of this battle going on over Christmas. See, what it is, it's, it brings to light this, this battle that's taking place spiritually, doesn't it? We kind of have lived comfortably with the fact that we can just acknowledge Christmas and it's all good. Some of us may just be complacent in that. Sometimes we get to the place where we go, you know, it's pretty easy. And all of a sudden, they're saying, this is a holiday tree. And all of a sudden, they're saying, happy holidays. And so we know that there's a battle to fight, don't we? And so, as people at the store, wherever they're at, and they say, Happy Holidays, we go, oh yeah? Merry Christmas! (laughs) And we're fighting the battle. And we feel pretty good about that. But it's this outward battle that's obvious and true. And it's just a a symbol, and it indicates exactly where we're at spiritually. Yeah, there's a fight going on. And outwardly, they were doing well. But the Lord goes deeper He has other words for this church. Look what he says. Verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, or I will come soon to you. I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. They were a church that held firm and held to the word of God. And he says, but I want you to go deeper. There are some things that I'm seeing in you. They were careless and apathetic to the influence that came from within. They were tolerant of the teachings of Balak and the Nicolaitans. See, tolerance today is politically correct, isn't it? We should be tolerant. It's a great virtue to have. Everybody gets along so nicely when we do that. Yet Jesus is passionately intolerant. JC is not PC. He really isn't. He doesn't live in this world to be politically correct. And he says, I'm coming strongly with my sword to fight against this. Daryl Johnson responds to asking the question, why does he do this? And he says, because he, Jesus, loves truth. 
He speaks the truth. He is truth. And because, as he claims everywhere else, falsehood and deception of any kind enslaves people. He is especially intolerant of false ideas being taught and perpetuated in his name. See, tolerance is not a biblical virtue. We too often think it is. Kindness is. Grace. Patience with each other. Humility. Understanding. The church, this church, Cole Community, is to be inviting and welcoming and loving to those who are looking for life. But we're not to be inclusive and welcoming of ideas and new theology just because it's new and it's the latest thing. And it seems like people are grabbing a hold of it. And it seems like a lot of people are responding, and therefore it must be something good and true. And we should just go, okay, that's nice. We have a desire sometimes to have pluralistic worship. Let's worship Jesus and let's worship Baal at the same time. Let's live a lifestyle where we can do both. Let's be friends. Let's please everybody. Bill Cosby said, I don't know the key to success, but the key to failure is trying to please everyone. Spiritual failure. Trying to live a Christian life that is pleasing to everybody. Do you understand? We live in this world that is dark. We run fish upstream. We are in contrast because we bring a truth about life. That for some it's an aroma of life, and to some it is definitely an aroma of death. And we are not just to say, let's be at peace with everybody. Let's just tolerate everything that's going on. And in the name of Christ, people are preaching forth truth that they claim is truth, which is not. And see, they were including Baal and the Nicolaitans. And it says they're holding on to these truths. They're actually taking them in. The Nicolaitans meant conqueror of the people, lord of the people. Baal means the same thing. Lord of or conqueror of the people. And the battle was for the mind. What is your thinking about who the Lord Jesus Christ is? What do you know to be true about him? And what they were teaching was it's fine to eat meat sacrificed to idols, and it's fine to have sexual relationships outside of marriage. The struggle wasn't so much with the meat itself. We see that later in scriptures and Corinthians as well. It's not that meat sacrificed to idols is bad, but what would happen was they would offer this meat to the people in a wonderful ceremony, an incredible ceremony, and it was offered to the idols, and then the people would get the meat, and then they would hold a sacred feast. And so what would happen would be this. Hey, we are worshiping the Nicolaitans and Baal, and we're going to go now have a sacred feast in honor of them. And why don't you come with? and be with us in this sacred feast. And so for the new Christian who's being invited is the struggle. And in that culture, to dine with, to have a meal with, was a bond of unity, a bond of friendship, and also an agreement with what was taking place. 
And so the Nicolaitans and the Baal worshippers who were teaching were saying, we can do all of this together. It's okay. Let's just live at peace with one another. Let's just go ahead and live both lives. You have a good God who forgives you, right? You'll be okay. Grace will come. So come with us. The subtle teaching that would come in to the church. They were bringing it in and they were careless and they weren't searching scripture to know what is true. Sexual immorality, go ahead and just do it. It's fine. And you see this in Christian culture today. You see young couples who are going, you know, we, we really do love each other. You know what? We're going to get married pretty soon. We love the Lord. So it's all all right. And it's been feeding their brains. They keep hearing this in different circles. And God says, oh, I have such a better plan for you. Wait. I have all of this creation of your enjoyment of each other for marriage. Just wait. And yet they're trying to marry the two, trying to bring them both in. Listen to what's going on in our culture. Today, Jerry and Rachel Coakley plan to spend the day with his parents. They'll attend Roman Catholic Mass. They'll open presents around his folks' tree, and they'll join for Christmas dinner. But before the evening meal, the couple will observe one more holiday ritual that they normally would follow in their own home. They'll light a menorah for Hanukkah. See, the Coakleys are among many intermarried couples trying to make the best of a rare and uncomfortable coincidence on this year's religious calendar. Hanukkah, the Jewish festival celebrated by lighting candles on eight consecutive nights, begins on Christmas Day. Coakley, who is Catholic, has joined the synagogue with his wife. He says, well, it helps us have good dialogue. We want to honor each other's faith. The number of American families led by one Jewish and one Christian parents is incredibly increasing over the years. From 1996 to 2001, they found that 40%, 47% in intermarriage of different faiths. Case says couples raising their children Jewish tend to be especially opposed to the term chrismica, a blended celebration that's been popularized by the interfaith family at the center of the Fox drama, The O.C., which many teenagers and young families are watching. Let's do Christmas. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. He is my salvation. He is the only way to life. I have given my life to him. And let's celebrate the fact that you don't believe in God, Jesus, Son, Jesus Christ at all. That you worship an eight-day celebration where the temple was cleansed. And let's marry them together and it's all okay. It's not okay. We can't tolerate and say that it's okay. And God is diving deep with his double-edged sword and he's saying this, don't you know who I am? I am the lover of your souls. I am the one who came and paid the price for your sin on the cross. I am the one who rose again on the third day and offered to you, if you believe upon me, 
that you shall have life. I am not still in waiting like the Jews are, going, where's our Messiah? I am here and I come with a double-edged sword. And yet the world continues to say, this is okay. People need to know that there is Jesus. That there's one way. There's our Savior. And what we're seeing all over culture today is this subtle teaching that seems to say, you know what, it's not all Jesus. You can do it on yourself as well. You know what, you guys, seriously, if you just go to the family bookstore, there's a lot of good books there. But there's a lot of books where you go, what? Here's how you live now. Here's how you can do it. Here's your seven steps to a better spiritual life. Taking business terminology and putting it in to Scripture. Taking subtle Scripture and placing it in a whole context that says, I can do it. I can make it happen. If I do this, then I will have good spiritual life. And what he's saying of the church of Pergamum and to us is we're allowing this to just seep into our lives. We're not taking Scripture and going, is this true? You see brokenness and new covenant which says, all Christ, nothing of me. That doesn't sell very well to victorious Christian living booksellers. We must have victory. We had victory the day we said, Lord Jesus, be Lord of my life. We had victory the day we held on when we were going through cancer treatment. It's not about you can do it. But you look at the bookstore. You see the titles of those books. Your best life now. It's like we're forcing God to make it the best. It's not true. It's our life in Christ daily walking out. And that our New Year's resolution... I pray this morning that we would say to our Lord, Lord, I want my mind to be focused on you. That there would be a renewing of my mind. He says he's coming quickly to repent, to change the thinking that we have taken in, that we can do both things. And he says, repent, turn around. And like the scriptures teach us, that we would live for him. That we'd say, no, this isn't the way to live. I'm looking at truth and it's not saying this about I can fix it all. It's saying God has my life. There's a great actress, her name's Patricia Heaton. She was on Everybody Loves Raymond. And it was interesting because during the, the, uh, the music awards, she walked out. She's one of the most famous actresses today. And she walked out and she was asked, why did you walk out of the American Music Awards? And she says, what was passing for humor basically ranged from stupid to vulgar. And I just thought, I'm not going to be part of this. Here's a woman who we don't know if she loves God or not, but she said, I'm not part of this. This is wrong and gross and vulgar, and I will not sit here and just say, okay, because everybody else is. A renewing of our mind. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And then you will know and you will be able to attest and approve what God's will is for your life. His good, His pleasing, His perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind, the renovation, the change for the better. Transform has the wording metamorphosis, that you are changed from within. And that we would live and say, God, I want to know your truth so that I will know your pleasing will. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That our New Year's resolution would be, dear body, that we come to this. That we wake up in the morning and we say, God, I desire your truth. I'm not even feeling like it yet. I haven't even had a cup of coffee, but I want to know more of you. Because it's the word that changes us. It's the word that transforms us. It's the word that gives us new life. For the word of God is living. The word of God is active. The word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces, penetrates soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes to him who gives account. He says, yeah, I'm coming, and there will be judgment. It's going to all break open what is truth. You see, you hold to these teachings. I will be the one who will come with righteous judgment, and I will say, I am truth. This is not. That double-edged sword brings judgment as well. And so he's calling us to repent. Are we intermarrying the two? Are we trying to live dual lives and not relying on the word alone? But the good news of the word is that it does penetrate our souls. We begin to see God's radical love for us. We begin to see our sin. We begin to see the grace of our Lord. We begin to see the word changing us. This church, Cole Community Church, the reason we are so dedicated to every week and in Bible studies, growth groups, to bringing the word is because we're committed that you would know the whole counsel of God. We're committed that you would know truth, which is Christ, that you would know him on a deeper level through the work of his spirit. We know that the word moves in the hearts of us. We take it so that we can test things that are brought in that maybe are not true and say, this isn't of God. I will not live that way. So that we can know God's will, his perfect and pleasing will in us. And he says two things. When you turn and when you repent, I have a New Year's gift, a promise for you. One is hidden manna. That manna that was placed into the Ark of the Covenant in the golden jar. The manna that was the bread from heaven. And what Christ is saying of himself is I give you all of me. 
that manna placed in there for what was to be the bread of life, which is me. This is what I give in this new year. Will you receive all of me? And he says, I give you a white stone with a new name. We don't exactly know what the white stone was. Sometimes it was received as victory in a race. Sometimes it was a stone used in judgment and the white stone set you free. We don't actually know the whole thing of it. But the white stone, again, has this idea of purity, of cleanliness. And as we come into the presence of God, we are white and pure. And maybe it's a stone to say, here I'm in. But he says on that stone is written your new name. Well, Christ says of us, I know exactly who you are. You are in me. And so your name is connected with me. And it's your spiritual name, who you are to the core. I know exactly who you are. You were Simon. You are now Peter, the rock. I wouldn't mind that name in heaven. Rock Richie. That's a good one. <laughs> huh? What do you think, Zach? Huh? We get a new name. But the, the promise is, I welcome you in. I welcome you into the kingdom of God. You've stood firm. You've tested and approved because you've known me and you know truth. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, a daughter. And since you are a son or daughter, God has made you also an heir to his kingdom. That's the good news in this new year. We are sons and daughters who get to walk into the kingdom of God, full of the bread of life with manna. Like Caleb did this Christmas, I pray that we long for the sword. I pray that we desire and hope for and can't wait to know more of Jesus through his word. That we would break it open and say, God, I want to know you deeper. Pray this prayer with me. Close your eyes and and may your hearts open up to this as I close in Psalm 119. This is out of the message version. How can a person have a pure life? By carefully reading the map of your word. May I be single-minded in pursuit of your word, O God. Don't let me miss the road signs that you have posted. I have banked your promises in the vault of my heart, so I won't send myself bankrupt. Be blessed, O God. Train me in your ways of wise living, and I will transfer to my lips. I delight far more in what you tell me about living than gathering a pile of riches. I ponder every morsel of wisdom from you. I attentively watch how you've done it. I relish everything you've told me of life. I will not neglect your word. May it be true of us, Lord Jesus, of Cole Community Church, that we would seek your word. May it be true of our individual lives, Father, that we would long for the sword of truth so that we may know your good and your pleasing and your perfect will in our lives. In your heavenly and precious name, amen.
And this is what the Word says. The Word says, and Jesus speaks forth to us, nothing can separate the love of God from us and Him. I love you, the Lord says. I love you so much I died on the cross for you. And so this morning we take communion. We take communion in remembrance of all that God has done for us. And we remember who he is in our lives because the truth speaks forth, which is all of our life, our salvation, comes through Christ paying the price for us. And so this morning we take this time to remember him, the bread of life that is coming down.